before I proceed uh, to lead us into uh, the reading of the scripture, I'd like to share something with you this morning. Uh, referring to our responsive reading of scripture, uh, the congregation responded and said, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Is this not the most beautiful piece of literature you've ever heard? Amen. That's all? Come on, raise the roof! Amen! God is beautiful. Everything he has done, everything he has planned, is absolutely perfect. Even in our feeble little lives. Please open your Bibles to John 12, 44 to verse 50. If you are using the Pew Bible, you find the readings at pages 899. Here, what the Spirit is saying to the church. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Amen. This passage of scripture constitutes the last words of Jesus' public ministry before he went to the cross. And it really does represent uh, a summation of all that he taught um, while on earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we um, sit before and underneath this glorious word of the Lord Jesus as he summarizes and applies his word to us. Help us to give our greatest attention to it. Be our teacher. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. He who worked in chosen men to write the scripture it's only fitting that He would also teach us His Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, uh, Lord willing, I am about to go to Uganda beginning on uh, May 10th for 
two and a half weeks. I've been twice before, once in 1990, just after my graduation from college, and then again the following year, 1991. One of the things that was most striking to me in Uganda was the nighttime sky. Outside the city capital of Kampala, there was zero light pollution. And actually, two days a week, there was zero light pollution in the capital city as well because uh, at that time, Uganda and Tanzania and Kenya all shared one um, one uh, hydroelectric plant. And so they would rotate different days at which they would have power. So two days a week, uh, Kampala would be completely without electricity. And you... You look up at the stars and they are visible like nothing you have ever seen before um, living in America. And you can see the Milky Way like you've never, ever seen it before. The Milky Way appears as these two bands of, of densely clustered stars. And they run parallel to each other. And then in between the two bands, it's darker, it's kind of regular nighttime sky. Um, but when you look at the Milky Way, um, as it looks in the Ugandan sky, it looks as if there's a great jagged uh, rip right in the middle of the sky. Because we have so much light around us, it's easy to forget what the darkness looks like. And this applies not only to the nighttime sky. It also has spiritual application as well. We live in a, in a nation that has a strong, um, a strong tradition of giving importance to the rule of law. We live in an affluent society that values order and safety. Uh, we, we live in the suburbs, most of us, where uh, crime is less prevalent. And these factors kind of act like light pollution because the world sometimes doesn't seem as, as dark as the Bible says it is. It does not appear to be really that evil sometimes. And so consequently, we can forget uh, the actual evil and darkness that really and truly exist in our world. Or to take it a, a little deeper, and to make it a bit more personal, um, we do see in our society some of the evil, some of the rebellion against our God, and we're offended by it. But by being offended by it, it's implied that we're better than those who are actually committing the evil that we are offended by. And so... Uh, it's easy for us to think that we are morally superior. And by God's grace, God's grace alone, we have been renewed and transformed. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. There is a love, a sincere love for God and, and His Word, His law, that resides in our soul. Sin is no longer our King and our Master. Jesus Christ is our King and our Master, our Lord. 
And so we're different by God's grace. But it's easy to think ourselves morally superior because of who we are rather than because of God. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 6-11. through 11. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so Paul says, such were some of you. Some of us in the congregation could say, such was I. But I was washed. I was sanctified. I was justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of my God. Others might be able to say, I didn't really struggle with these particular sins. I've never been a sexually immoral person or an adulterer. I've never practiced homosexuality. I've never been a thief or a greedy person. I'm not a drunkard. I'm not a violent person or a swindler. And you would be truthful in saying that. But Paul could have easily have made a list of sins that did include you. In fact, there are several similar lists that are found throughout the Holy Scriptures. Uh, and those lists don't include the more lurid and obscene sins that Paul listed in 1 Corinthians 6. Corinth, being along a major trade route in the ancient world, uh, was given to practicing the more salacious and indecent sins. And so that's why he mentions these particular sins in uh, 1 Corinthians. But if we took a sampling from some of these other lists um, in the Bible... Uh, we maybe could uh, change some of the words. Do not be deceived. Neither the self-centered, nor the prideful, nor the bitter, nor the unforgiving, nor fearful, nor people who lust after others, nor the judgmental, nor the complainers, nor the envious, nor the people-pleasers, nor the lovers of money will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. There are many, many, many more sins that we could list. The point I'm making is that we are sinners. We sin because we're sinners. There's something that is ugly inside every one of us. There's something that is evil in every one of us. There's something that is very dark inside every one of us. Just because we're not as bad as we could be, just because we're not as guilty of some of the more lewd and obscene sins, we have a principle of wickedness inside us that is as dark and is as ugly as any person who has ever lived. 
Listen to Paul in Romans 3, verses 9 through 18. He doesn't use the word some, like such for some of you. He uses the word all. The things he says in Romans uh, Romans 3, verses 9 through 18, apply to all of us. So I want you to listen to this passage as if God is speaking directly to you. Paul says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are all under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their, in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This passage describes people whose hearts are so set, are so fully set to do wickedness. This passage describes people who have a deeply rooted aversion for God and for His righteousness. This passage describes people who have no love for God at all, but, but rather exhibit no fear of God whatsoever. A.W. Pink accurately says, You may have a mild temper, or an amiable disposition, a reputation for kindness and generosity, but if you have never been born again, you have no real love in your heart for God than Judas had for the Savior. I remember an older lady in my first congregation. She came up to me after I had preached on Romans 3, 9-18, through this passage I just read. And she said to me at the back door, as everyone was coming by to, to shake my hand as as, uh, as, um, as people do, and she said, "I know that the Bible that the Bible says this is true of everybody, but it is not true of me. Um, it is true of everybody. It was true of her. It is true of me. It is true of my wife, my children. It is true of you as well. I am not the Lord. His mercy extends deep beyond my deepest thoughts. But as I understand the Scripture, it seems impossible to me that a person can trust in the grace of God while rejecting the Bible's clear teaching about the nature of human sinfulness. If a person is unwilling to embrace the Bible's assessment about themselves, it appears to me in my very limited wisdom that they are unable to completely grasp God's grace. I've been moving through this uh, sermon. I'm actually a, a 
closer to being finished, about two-thirds of the way, and I haven't touched yet on uh, John uh, 12. But like I said, take hope. We're about two-thirds of the way finished. Um, and the reason why I've taken so long uh, to drive home the sinfulness of the human condition is not to beat you up and make you feel bad, but rather... I am endeavoring to, to paint the dreadful backdrop to be as dark as the nighttime Ugandan sky. I'm trying to paint it as dark as I can. Frankly, accurately, biblically as I can. And I want to do this to remind you of the grace of our Lord Jesus. Because the grace of our Lord Jesus shines out like the brightest star on that, against that black Ugandan night. I'm doing this to make one simple point, and that is we are sinners and God loves sinners. So let's look at our text. I want you to look specifically at verse 46. Verse 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. Why did Jesus come into the world? He came as light so that we who are darkness, we who have hearts that are black, evil, um, hateful toward God, that have no fear of God in our hearts whatsoever, he came into the world as light in order that we might not remain in darkness. He came into our dark world, our world that is made dark by the evil and hatred of God in our hearts. And He came to deliver us from our darkness. Look now at verse 47. I'm going to read the second phrase from verse 47. It says, "For I did not come in to I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world." And so he's saying he's coming here to save the world. He's coming here to save sinners, to save sinners without qualification. He's not singling out a special class of sinners. In fact, he is speaking to Jews who had rejected him for three years and who had hardened their hearts against him. And how complete was their rejection of him? Let me just remind you of uh, what we this passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago um, in John chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 37. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what He heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. And even those Jews who were inclined to believe in Him, still would not. So in verse uh, 42, well, I'll start with verse 41. 
Isaiah said these things because he saw his his being Jesus, saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. God loves sinners. He is preaching His last words to these people who had so thoroughly rejected Him. Who would put Him on the cross in less than a week's time. And yet He's telling them in verse 47, um, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. It is so easy to overlook this most basic and foundational truth. We forget how sinful we are, how undeserving we are, and so we also forget how much, God, how much love God has lavished upon us. It was tragic that Jesus had come to His own, but His own rejected Him so completely. And to add to the tragedy, they were not just rejecting a miracle-working man. They were rejecting God Himself. Look at verses 44 and 45. And Jesus cried out. You hear the urgency. He's crying out to them. Whoever believes in Me, believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Jesus was absolutely clear throughout his ministry that he and the Father were one. That um, they are one. Uh, we we saw this at many points uh, in our um, study of John. In Jesus Christ, we have a revelation of the Father. In Jesus, we see the Father's holiness, righteousness, compassion, love, and mercy. No one can see the Father. But in Jesus Christ, we see Him. So He says, Whoever sees Me, verse 45, sees Him who sent Me. This is central to the Gospel and the Christian faith. In other words, if you do not have Jesus Christ as your, your Savior, you do not have God as your Father. When you deal with Jesus, you are dealing with God. It is of utmost consequence that you don't miss this. I want you to look at verse 48. This is the issue of life itself. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. This is the issue of life itself. You miss this and you miss the very essence of life. This is the most crucial issue that any individual will face. This is the most crucial issue, therefore, that you will face. Do you receive Christ's Word? Do you believe in Him and trust in Him and in His Gospel? Or do you reject His Word and so reject Him and so reject the Father? There's going to be a judgment day. We will all stand before the throne of Christ 
Each one of us is going to be judged for everything we've done in the body, whether good or evil. No way around it. The question is, will Jesus be your advocate on that day? Will He be your righteousness? Will He be your Savior? It is stunning how people can take this issue and put it off to the side. And just like the people in verses uh, 42 and 43, well, they believe in Jesus, but they love the praise of man. They believe in Jesus, but they love this world. They believe in Jesus, but they love themselves more. There's going to be a judgment. Jesus says, verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. There's a last question that presents itself to me that I, I think needs to be answered. If there is such darkness in the human soul, will the darkness overcome the light? You know, living at the time that we are living in, uh, it looks like culture and um, and and hatred for God is encroaching on on every area of life. That it is uh, that it, the darkness is is conquering. That the darkness is expanding while the light is shrinking. Doesn't it seem like that? You know, today is uh, is um, um, oh boy, the, the the word just slipped from my mind. Uh, basically, the stand oh stand for marriage Sunday, and the reason I don't know who came up with this, but and but I know why they came up with this simply because uh, it looks as if. Um, the, the biblical concept of marriage is going to be done away with in our society. It's come under full assault. And it looks like the darkness is winning. But the darkness will never overcome the light. It looked like the darkness was overcoming even the light of Jesus Christ while He was preaching. He preached. He did miracles. And yet... By the thousands, people turned away from Him rather than gathering to Him. And when He went to the cross, even His disciples left Him. But Christ will not let His church be overcome. Christ will not let His gospel be overcome. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And then let me ask this last question that is related to it. Will the, will the darkness that is inside you be able to overcome the light? In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and trust Him, will this power of sin be able to overcome you? No. Christ will keep you. It should not surprise you at the sin and the power of sin in your life. Some of the, the, the godliest uh, men throughout church history have, 
have confessed um, the, the, the power of sin. For instance, uh, Robert Murray McShane, my, my personal hero, um, Presbyterian minister in the uh, early 1800s, he said, no figure of speech can represent my utter lack of power to resist the torrent of sin. He says, none but God knows what an abyss of corruption is in my heart. John Knox, the founder of Scottish Presbyterianism, he said, in youth, mid-age, and now after many battles, I find nothing in me but vanity and corruption. C.S. Lewis, a favorite of many of you to read uh, his um, Mere Christianity and other books he's written, he said, for the first time in my life, I examined myself with a serious practical purpose, and there I found what appalled me, a zoo of lust, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fear, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. And then the Charles Spurgeon, I have his picture over my... Uh, over my desk so that he can kind of watch over me as I'm, pre- as I'm preparing my sermons to remind me to go straight to Jesus and, uh, and, and never miss him in my sermon preparation. And Spurgeon, godly man that he was, here's what he says about himself. There may be many persons who can glide along like a tram car on rails without a solitary jerk, but I find that I have a vile nature to contend with and spiritual life is a struggle with me I have to fight from day to day with inbred corruption coldness deadness barrenness and if it were not for my Lord Jesus Christ my heart would be as dry as the heart of the damned such is the power of sin we have been delivered from the dominion of sin it no longer is our master and our king but is still a powerful foe but it will not overcome you. As Spurgeon said, if it were not for the grace of our Lord Jesus, Jesus said I can do, that we can do nothing apart from Him. But with Him, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. It cannot overcome you. But don't be surprised. And like uh, dead men's bones down in your soul, that the stench of death comes comes uh, wafting up through your actions. Um, part of the reason these men were able to acknowledge this is because they looked at themselves against the light of Scripture. They were not willing to turn a blind eye to who they are. But then they also, it reminded them to take a fresh look at Jesus Christ. And I think it was Max Shane, and I'll close with this, who said, for every look at my sin, for every one look at my sin, I take ten looks at my Savior. And I want to urge you, do likewise. Christ, the light of the world, is rolling back darkness. He has rolled back darkness in your life. He is rolling back darkness over this world, even if it looks as if darkness is encroaching here in our country. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, 
You are the light of life. The light that shines in the darkness. The light that shined into our life and gave, gave us life. Help us to live in the light of Your presence. Help us to trust that You are, um, are in, have taken up residence in our souls and that uh, the, light, the darkness of sin will never, ever be able to overcome uh, Your light. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.